Did you know that you can listen to every single episode of Gangry the Podcast on our website? Just go to gangrythepodcast.com and you can listen to interviews with amazing writers and reporters like Pamela Koloff, David Gran, Janet Reitman, Tom Juneau, Eli Saslow, Ben Montgomery, Landa Gregory, and so many more. Just go to gangrythepodcast.com. That's G-A-N-G-R-E-Y, thepodcast.com. Gangri the Podcast is brought to you by the Digital Journalism Program at Fairfield University. The Bachelor of Arts degree in Digital Journalism is a rigorous 12-course program designed to provide students with the skills, knowledge, and experience needed to take part in today's quickly changing media world. The podcast is also brought to you by the College of Arts and Sciences at Fairfield University. The college grounds students in the 500-year-old Jesuit tradition of academic rigor and personal reflection while providing them with the critical skills needed to succeed in work and life. To learn more about the Digital Journalism Program and the College of Arts and Sciences, visit www.fairfield.edu. Back in November, I talked with Chris Jones. I had wanted to talk with him about writing for a book that I'm working on. The book is about how to report and write narrative journalism, and I've been using so many of the podcast interviews that I've done as source material. One thing I noticed, though, is that we don't talk a lot about writing on the show. We talk a lot about reporting, but not writing. So I called Chris up, and we talked about only writing for about 30 minutes. We talked about how he wrote the things that carried him. Jones won a National Magazine Award for that story in 2009. We talked about his Zanesville Zoo story and his Roger Ebert profile and his Kenneth Feinberg profile. And we talked about making the move to screenwriting. And for me, screenwriting is like, it's like using the same muscles to play a different sport. I'm not learning how to be an electrician. Like I'm, I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. It's just a different form. And it, it, um, I think it's good for me. It's like, it's just keeps things fresh. Jones made quite a career for himself at Esquire. He was regularly included in best American sports writing for work he did for ESPN, the magazine. Now he's a writer for the Netflix show away. The show is loosely based on Jones's Esquire story with the same title. That show will likely be released later this year. Chris was on the show back in January of 2014. At the time, we talked about his Feinberg piece, as well as a story he wrote about what happened on Air Force One immediately after President John F. Kennedy had been assassinated. I've put links to a lot of Jones's work on our website. You can find that at www.gangrythepodcast.com. Back when we had this conversation, I didn't intend to use it as a podcast, but I was reading the transcript recently and realized that Jones has so many great insights into writing stories, be they for magazines or the screen. It would be selfish to just sit on this interview. I checked with Chris and and he said he was cool with the talk being released. 
given that, we'll just sit back and listen. I mean, not every story, you can't go into every story thinking, I want people to really feel this one. Like, there's certain stories that you come across that are worth that aspiration, I guess I would say. Like, if I'm doing a profile of, uh, I don't know, if I was doing a profile of Joe Flacco, I'm probably not going into it going, well, I hope I can wring tears out of people on this one. Like, right. you know what I mean? It's just, but Kenneth Feinberg was one where I thought he was this remarkable man doing this remarkable thing semi-anonymously. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, and and his experiences, you know, as he would talk about them, like I still remember him telling me the story about the... Um, the family, the 9-11 family, where he found the second family. Right. And he didn't know what to do. You know, that kind of dilemma and that the sort of chill that kind of comes up in you thinking about that sort of thing. Like, there's certain stories you know you have an opportunity to make something that people will hopefully remember a little bit. And 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 my goal when I sit down and write one of those is, is usually don't screw it up. Like you know, you were talking about the reporting, like if you have the reporting, your job as a writer now is to present what is hopefully really good reporting in a way that doesn't get in the way of it. Like you don't want to obstruct it. You don't want to get ham fisted and you don't want to step on it. Um, and I think the biggest mistake young writers make when they want to write something with feeling is they over, they overwrite. Mm-hmm. they, I can't remember. I think it was Wright Thompson. I'm not positive it was him, but you know, there's there's no such thing as over-reporting, but there is such a thing as overwriting, and I I believe that fully. Mm-hmm. And I think back to like the first story I tried to do with some emotional weight was back when I was a newspaper reporter. A, a triathlete died during a triathlon, um, and I was I was uh, he was a very likable guy and had a ton of friends and family who were really upset. And I thought, okay, here's a, here's, this should be a a powerful story. And I remember my editor taking me aside after my first draft and going like, you're trying too hard. Like you're like, just let me feel it. Don't, don't tell me what to feel. And don't tell me that this is the point where the strings come in. And this is the point where you cry and just, just let the story do the work and, and I'll get there. Mm-hmm. Um, so my, my first, my, I mean, I guess my fear is when I sit down and write something is that I'm going to mess it up. Um, and there's been stories in my life where I've, I've, where, you know, you get to know that you have the reporting you're like, Oh, this is a story. Like I know I've got the material. I know, I know I've got the goods here and now I just kind of have to make sure I present it in a way that, that, that doesn't blunt the impact of the material. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was pretty fear driven mostly when I was writing. Uh, and then the, and how you do that, I think is, is mostly you sort of don't, for me, it's like, don't, don't try to use any tricks, just present the story as clearly and economically as possible. And in some weird way, like that spareness amplifies the effect. It's, and I, I don't know why, like you, you would think like, you know, if I if I do all sorts of weird things with structure and if I use really baroque language and that it would amplify the effect and it doesn't, it dulls it. Mm-hmm. 
It's, it's like what you need to do is just almost get with with powerful stories. You almost need to get as simple as you can get. You almost have to steam out any artifice or any anything that seems like effort or anything that seems like I'm really trying here to get you to feel like just let the let the story do the work. Mm-hmm. Like in tricks, are you, are you talking like is that what you mean? Like special language and and, just and structure. I mean, I'll and... say structure, like trying to get like second person or um or weird structure or uh really you know getting too adverby and using using language that you might not normally use just because you think it's more powerful like it i find that you know simple language simple structure just clean um you know if you again if you have the material i think i think sometimes you need the other stuff if you don't have the goods Mm -hmm. (laughs) you're trying to mask it you know like but if you have if you have the reporting then you can just do a very simple i was talking about a class last week about things that carried them and that as i'm sitting here like the structure of that is is weird and i think but i think it's purposeful but the language of that story is very simple Mm -hmm. um like every sentence has a fact and it's just, it's just, it's just presented as clean as I could make it. And I think that's, that's what you do when you have material that, that has the potential to be powerful is you just, you just step back and try to just present it the way you would tell a story to a friend sitting next to him at a bar. Right. Did you, um, when you wrote that first draft, did you write it in that, um, that the, 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 the structure, the chronology, like the reverse chronology? Is that how you wrote the first draft? Well, yeah, but it wasn't my idea. My editor suggested that, like, when I pitched the story, actually, he said, maybe you should write it backward. Mm. Uh, and that just kind of stuck. Uh, you know, at the time, when he said it, I kind of went, because I was not, am not, like, a fancy writer. Like, I'm not, I, I don't try a lot of stuff like that. Um, and so, so when he suggested it, I remember being sort of, like, quizzical about it. I was going, well, how would that work? Um, but then as I did the reporting you know, I decided to try it, and and uh, so it was always backward. But it, it was not my idea to have right, it backward. Right, right. When you um, when you the bulk of your reporting is done. Uh, first of all, do you while you're reporting, do you ever sit down and write while you're reporting, or do you wait yeah, all until the, all the time? Do you all the time? So yeah. like, can you describe like what you're like? So you spend a day with somebody. What do you do after that? So if I uh, if I'm on the road, I mean one of the things about being on the road is is especially as a magazine writer, like you're alone. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're covering a sporting event at night, you go out with a bunch of buddies afterwards. Well, when you're a magazine writer, you're usually somewhere by yourself. Right. And so often I would sort of go back to my hotel, and you know you don't have anything to do, and you're lonely, and you, and so you just I would write just as a means of like of passing the time. Um, but what I found is that there'll be days where you do reporting and I find I want to write it when it's all fresh in my head. Um, and so I won't like, I rarely start writing at the beginning of a story and then write to the end. Like I'll, I'll write middles and chunks and, um, but like I'll write scenes usually are what come out of me at night is when, you know, you, I'm trying to give a good example, like Zanesville, the the animal right. shooting story. I so I remember coming home after 
um, spending a, a day with Sam Kopchak out at his farm. I remember coming back to the Hampton Inn in Zanesville on rainy night and after pounding at Olive Garden. I I just started writing scenes like like I wrote the horse scene, mm-hmm. but what turned out to be the opening scene, you know, that night in my hotel. And I did I didn't know it was the opener. I didn't know. I just knew I wanted to write that scene when it was fresh, and I'd stood next to that horse that day. You know what I mean? I, it, it's just everything's so vivid still. For me, it's good to get it down. It just adds like a immediacy to it. Um, and I also like writing. I like writing without like looking at my notes and stuff a lot. Uh, I find that sort of interrupts things. So if it's fresh, I, I feel pretty confident about what I'm writing about. And then I can go back and check my facts and check my notes and get the quotes right and everything like that. But if you're right, like in the immediate aftermath of reporting something, you know, you don't have to sit there and check every detail. You can, you can just write and then, and then go fix it up. It's like, it flows better for me if I don't wait. So I write all the time, like things that carried them. I remember writing the first part I wrote was the flight back from Dover to Seymour uh, after I talked to the two Jones and Linton were the two pilots. And I remember being in Dover writing that. And that's like the middle of the piece. Like that's, that, that, that's halfway down. And, um, I guess I like doing it when it's fresh. Yeah. So when, so when you're, when the bulk of your reporting is done, right. And, and I guess you're, are you now just kind of putting stuff together? Uh, if a lot of it has, has been written already. Yeah. I mean, I, I wouldn't say a lot of it's, I mean, it depends on the story. Like a lot, a lot of my, I can't think of a single instance, Matt, where I sat down and wrote the first word and then went chunk, chunk, chunk to the end. Like I, I don't think I've ever done that in my life. Um, I I think we talked about how I I usually know my ending Mm -hmm. uh, and I've usually written my ending and then I'll have lots of sort of pieces like, sections scenes usually and then so when i'm done reporting and now i'm home my job is to sort of take this patchwork and try to put it in a good order and fill in the blanks and 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 make sure it has some kind of structure and uh, so it's like uh i guess for me i'm sort of making a collage like i i i I have like bits and pieces and i've got to try to make a quilt out of it and it's like so that's why once I sit down and I'm really working on just I'm done reporting and now I I can I'm just focusing on the writing that I I guess that's kind of what my job is. Mm-hmm. I don't know how I ever like I don't know how people used to do this shit on typewriters like I <laughs> I use the cut and paste function on my computer like liberally. I I, I would be like Robert Carroll with scissors and tape and um but it's for me it's like yeah, and then you know I, what I often don't have is my top. So usually the first thing I gotta write is my is my way into the story, and then and then I then I start piecing together everything. When when do you start thinking theme? Oh, early. Often the pitch. Okay. Like because you can't do a magazine story like that that doesn't have a theme. Like right. it it can't just be the so like your prison story. Like the idea is you do the story about the the fire. But it has to have some larger theme about like what it, what it did in American history or what it how something about how we treat inmates or how we fight fire or you know it's got to have some larger resonance and so 
often even in the pitch phase, like we'll, we'll be discussing like what a story means. Um, and then when you're reporting, hopefully you have a moment where you kind of go, Oh, that's what the story is about. Um, and it's, it, or that's what this person means to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you try to then sort of subtly with the writing, you try to get that theme across. And again, you know, you don't want to beat someone over the head with the theme, like a, a something that they sort of, it's almost like slipping the dagger in. Like you almost don't want them to even know what happened. Right. Right. And they, just, they leave with that feeling, but they don't know why, you know, that's, that's when you've really done it. Right. When you um, profiled Roger Ebert, um, mm-hmm. was that one, is that one that you, I don't think that was one that you pitched. Is that correct or no? Am I wrong? Oh no, I pitched the hell out of that. Okay. It got rejected like six times. <laughs> No, I pitched and pitched and pitched and pitched, and, uh, and then they finally said yes. What, what, um, you knew exactly what, like, that theme would be before you uh, went and spent no, time with him? I, or no? I did have this idea of, like, words, the difference between spoken words and written words and that language. Mm-hmm. I had this idea that Roger was still expressing as much as he ever expressed. He was just using a different, he was using the written word as opposed to the spoken word. And, and, and in some ways, his, 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 his language, even though it wasn't spoken, was almost more powerful. Uh, I definitely had that idea. And that's just from, you know, the reason I picked that story is because I was a ardent reader of Roger's blog. And so I, I was like, God, he's writing such good stuff. Like he's, um, you know, it's like he knows more than he used to know. And it's, it's, uh, so that was always in my head, but, but, you know, until I actually spent time with Roger, it was hard to articulate like what that actually meant. Mm-hmm. Um, but then he get I got the scene with the where he was yelling, where he wrote, he typed out about Disney pulling down the videos, and then he, you know, made them bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger, and and made the font bigger on his screen. And I was like, oh well, there's my, there it is. Like you're, you, you can do everything that you can spoken, written. It's just, it's just a different form. Yeah. Um, with the Zanesville story, that that almost that. It's been a, it's been a while since I've read it, um, but that story is very very scenic, right? I mean, it's almost it's very <laughs> like I don't know how else to say it. It's a lot of scenes, right? It's just scenes, yeah. And actually, that story doesn't really have a theme, right? Uh, that story was just the whole goal for that story was to scare the shit out of you. That's that, that was Peter, my editor, and I spoke about it. We were like, the only thing this story is supposed to do is scare people. Mm-hmm. Um, it was that was like my version of a horror movie. Yeah, that, it scared yeah. me, and I lived There's in Ohio no, at the time. So, <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, you were yeah, Columbus, not far down the road. Um, they, they, yeah, there was no higher purpose with that story. That was just a, uh, you're a Ohio deputy walking through the woods at night looking for tigers. Like that's 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 all that was on that. So that's an exception to the sort of theme rule. But the, but it did come out. You know, it is just scenes. It's just it's just what happened. It's a it's a TikTok of what happened, right. and that you know when you talk about screenwriting, like that's probably the story that's the most cinematic. Right, right. It has no backstory. It doesn't have that second section where you cast back in time. It it it, it just you it it it's just this is what happened that night, and that's and that's what a movie is, right? A movie is often like this is what happened. At, for these people in this time. And that's, um, but it's the same things like scenes and letting, 
the actors do the work and like so often you're writing and you're like so-and-so gives so-and-so a meaningful look like <laughs> you know that's, that's up to the actor to really right. what that mean you know it's like the difference between screenwriting and and narrative journalism narrative journalism you're the last word on what it is right screenwriting you're giving like an outline and then other people fill in the blanks um i i think um when when you were on the podcast we also talked about the jfk story oh, or not yeah. the jfk story well i yeah i guess we can call it the jfk story but what happened yeah, on yeah. air force one after yeah the assassination i think you remember i remember you telling me you started that out as you had hoped it would be a screenplay yeah that's true yeah um uh had interest in it as a screenplay um because we were coming up to the 50th anniversary of the uh, assassination, and that's what that was sort of. God, that was a long time ago. I guess it was 2013. I know. I'm realizing oh. how old I am by how long I've been doing the podcast. Oh for. my god, it's terrifying. <laughs> um, yeah, it was a long time ago. Um, so, I mean, I'm uh, curious. Did have you always wanted to, to write to get into screenwriting? Or is that was say, it? Sorry, go ahead. I wouldn't say always. Like I was very happy being a journalist. Um, but I would say over the last, I would say from, I mean, maybe I wrote a screenplay when I was like, before I was a journalist, uh, it's terrible. I've never shown it to anybody and no one will ever see it. Um, so I guess I always had the idea that I wanted to do it, but it, it, it didn't really become a career aspiration until I would say like the 2010s. Mm -hmm. Um, and it was just itch mostly, Matt. It was just like, I just want to try something else. Um, and, it, and for me, screenwriting is like, it's like using the same muscles to play a different sport. So it's just, it's, it's like not so outside my, like I'm not learning how to be a, uh, I don't know what a good, I'm not learning how to be an electrician. Like I'm, I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. It's just a different form. And it, it, um, I think it's good for me. It's like, it's just keeps things fresh mm -hmm. um and as journalism you know i could sort of see what was happening to magazines um and i was I, by esquire standards and this is sort of a this isn't good by esquire standards i was young um right like the other guys were obviously going to finish <laughs> you know they were going to play out the string and finish as magazine writers i probably wasn't going to get that chance so i had to start thinking about what else i was going to do mm -hmm. And screenwriting became the thing. Are you, are you seeing? Do you? I mean, of the of the people that you know who write narrative journalism or, or magazine writers, are you seeing more people moving towards TV and film? Um, there's a few of us. There's like it's like a small, and I know a lot of people. Uh, I hope this doesn't sound. I mean this in like the best. A lot of people want to. Mm -hmm. Um. And it's, it's, it's not the easiest transition because in the way that journalism, you know, like, you know, this, like you, you need, you need that first crazy person to say yes to you. Right. And it's, it's really hard to convince them that you can do it. Like you might know you can do it in your heart, but like to, you don't have anything to show. So you're in that terrible catch 22 where you're like, you need it. You need a clip to prove that you can do this, but no one's given the opportunity to write a clip. So it's like, you're, and screenwriting is the same thing where you need that first person to go, okay, like, I know you've never done this, but I feel like you could like, 
that's a leap that someone has to make and it's it's hard to convince someone that you can um and so and while you and i might go oh narrative journalism and screenwriting are not that different i mean it's collections of scenes and it's telling a story through you know structure and blah 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 screenwriters you know directors don't see it that way like they look at a newspaper story and they they don't see anything that resembles a movie so it's like um so i would say a few people have made the shift and it's you know sort of an obvious time to try to make it because journalism is probably for the first time in history it's easier to get a tv show made than than to land a ten thousand word story somewhere and it's 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 just, it's, it's kind of a gold rush at the moment. And it's, you know, um, so I have friends who, who want to come across and we talk about coming across and it's, it's, it's not, it's not one of those things where you just kind of decide to do it. Like a, a bunch of stuff has to, like it took me probably 10 years of pretty solid effort to make the move. Right. I, and I, then I got lucky. Right. I kind of asked that question because I, I also, I've come to this realization, especially over the last couple weeks or so, maybe, Mm-hmm. That I'm writing this book on how to do narrative journalism at a time when the places that we used to publish narrative journalism are no longer existing anymore. Um, you know what I mean? Yeah, it's harder. Um, I mean, and so, not, like, Esquire doesn't do what it used to do. GQ doesn't do what it used to do. Right, yeah. right. Um, and Sports Illustrated is mm-hmm. now. I don't know what it is. Um, and so, so I, I'm, I'm curious, uh, you know, where, where these people who, who tell these types of stories are, are going to move to at some point in time, if they move to. Yeah. Anywhere, I mean, so. uh, TV and film is sort of a very natural play or books, you know what I mean? Like it's just, it's, um, and the skills of narrative journalism do apply. Like just telling a story at, at some essence, all of it is telling stories mm-hmm. and, and, and you, I sort of tell myself that people have told stories since cave painting. So we're going to tell stories still. It's just the, the, the medium is different. And that's, you know, I'm hoping I sort of can in the next couple of years, get enough of a foothold in screenwriting that now that's my medium. But it, because yeah, I don't know, I don't know where I'd be working. Um, I don't know where I'd be working in sort of traditional journalism now. Right. Right. When when you sit down to write, I I, I can't remember. I, I think I remember seeing at some point in time. You do you listen to music when you write? Yeah, I'll, well, yeah, I used to always. Occasionally now I'll edit in silence, but um, yeah, I usually have headphones on, and um, I usually listen to music that has something to do with what I'm writing. Okay. Uh, often it's like one song just on a loop, so I so that you don't start singing along and everything, or change the beat. It's like um, Roger Ebert was Little Motel by Modest Mouse and uh, Zanesville was a song called East Hastings by a Canadian band called Godspeed You Black Emperor that is like a really sinister sounding song um, and that it just for me it's like getting in the mood of, of writing the writing the piece like the and I'm, I'm sure I write the songs like the end of things that carried them you know, when they're driving out into the, into Baghdad, into the outskirts of Baghdad, mm-hmm. one of the songs was BYOB by System of a Down, which a lot of people would be like, that is not a song you can write to, but you know, I crack that shit and write to it. Um, I'm finding as I get older now that I, I tend to add it in silence. Um, but I, but I almost always write to music. Why? Um, 
I think two reasons. Probably one, it blocks the world out. Mm-hmm. Like the rest of the world, you know, um, have kids and, you know, phone ringing and all that kind of stuff. And when I'm writing out, I, I believe in, you know, the way athletes talk about the zone. Um, like, I believe in that for writers. Like, there are, there are nights when it just comes and you want to do everything you can to, to sort of slip into that trance where you're not looking at the word count and you're not thinking about anything else and it just pours out of you. Like, those are sort of the magical nights that, that you live for and that the music helps, gives me a better chance of finding that. Um, and then the music, like I say, if I use stuff that sort of, helps impart the feeling that I want to impart the way in movies songs evoke feeling and add to scenes like almost every scene that you've cried at in a movie has had music playing um and it's just it's it just helps with emotion I think I think it, it if you if you pick the song right um it helps you feel things uh and songs have structure too like songs are stories like when I talk about Little Motel for Roger Ebert, like that story, that story structure mimics the structure of Little Motel. Like it, it's the same, it's the same structure. And so it's like music can give you all sorts of inspiration. It gives me all sorts of inspiration. Right, right. How do you, how do you pick the song? Mm, just you chance a, usually. You have a big song knowledge database. Oh yeah. Like, I think, no. Yeah. I mean, I used to be a DJ. I used to manage my college radio station. I mean, I love music. and um, Yeah, I'll be like, oh, this song will put me in the mood and blah, blah, blah. Um, but sometimes it's chance. Right, Little Motel, I was riding on the shuttle bus. to the, There was a shuttle bus to the University of Montana, and it played on the bus. Oh. And, I was, and, I, and I was like, God, that's a great fucking song. Like, I... So I put it on when I started writing Roger, um, which I was doing when I was in Montana, and and it just stuck. I just kept listening to it, listening to it, and listening. And that, again, this won't work. I mean, it's the question you most get from young writers is like, what's your actual process? Mm-hmm. Um, and it you can't take someone else's process. Like it's not going to work for you. Like you got to find your own. Like, do you write in the morning? Do you write, like, Glenn Stout, I think, has, like, farmer's hours, and he gets up at 5 o'clock and starts working, doesn't he? Yeah, he's crazy, yes. Like, whereas I I do my best writing sort of, it's gotten earlier, like, it used to be sort of 10 till 3 at night, but now I'm more like, I can write in the afternoon now. I couldn't write in the morning to save my life, though. Right. Um, and I write to music, and other people, my girlfriend could never she, she needs silence when she's working, and so it's it's just everyone everyone's different. You got to find your own set of circumstances that give you the best chance of finding that special place. Yeah, that's one thing I'm really trying to make clear throughout this entire book because everybody's going to go about gathering information, you know, con, you know, talking to people a little bit different, you know, uh, approaching mm-hmm. people differently, writing differently, or the processes are different. Um, I, I really mm-hmm. want to just show people that there's a million different ways to do this. Um, but that's true. And as long as you don't that... make shit up, <laughs> you, well, you're yeah. pretty much able to go. <laughs> there's some basic rules. Yeah. <laughs> right. but there's, I can't, is it Elmore Leonard who said you start out? I think there's an Elmore Leonard quote about you find a writer you like, you try to write like them. And then in that process, you'll figure out what you sound like. Right. Uh, and then every young writer, I think, goes through periods of like imitation. I did for sure. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and then you, you figure out your own sound. But it's like every band starts by playing covers. Right. And I think writers are like that too. Yeah. Well, hey, thanks a lot. No problem. was a talk I had with Chris Jones back in November of 2019. He's writing for the Netflix series Away now. That series is loosely based on his Esquire story with the same title. The show will likely be released later this year. As usual, I've put links to everything that we talked about on the website. You can find that at www.gangreadapodcast.com. Stay up to date with the podcast by following us on Twitter. That's at Gangry Podcast. Gangry is spelled G-A-N-G-R-E-Y. You can also like the podcast on Facebook. You can subscribe to Gangry the Podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, or any Google Play app. Just search Gangry. That's G-A-N-G-R-E-Y Podcast. Gangory the Podcast is produced in Donnarumma Studios at Fairfield University. It's made possible by Fairfield University's Digital Journalism Program and the College of Arts and Sciences. This episode was hosted and produced by yours truly. I'm Matt Tullis. Thanks for joining us.